Welcome to Rad People I Know. This is a podcast about how extraordinary people are every day. Life is not just about what you do, but who you are in what you do. All of us know a whole bunch of rad people. These are some of mine. I hope you enjoy their stories. So today I'm very excited to have um, Stephen Haney on the line. He is my nephew. We'll get into a little bit of detail of that. Um, a very fine musician. He lives in Bristol, England. And um, yeah, we're just going to talk about his development as a musician. He's put out two albums, um, which we'll talk about. So welcome, Stephen. Very excited to have you today. Thank you for having me. <laughs> awesome. Um, so the first question that I have for all my guests is for you to tell us how we met. And hopefully it's the same memory as mine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, the embarrassing thing is I can't exactly remember the year, but I think it was when, God, what, four years ago now? Uh, yeah, that would probably be about right. Yeah, four years yeah. ago. Yeah, four years And, yeah, uh, I mean, I had you on Facebook in the periphery, in the background, for however many yeah. years before. Uh, but all of a sudden, yeah, just got this message out of the blue saying, hey, I'm your aunt. I'm going to be in London for a couple of weeks. Do you fancy meeting up? And so, yeah, it was it was a great opportunity. So, yeah, came along came along to London and uh, met up. And what could have been incredibly, incredibly awkward and a really awfully long two days actually was really, really brilliant. <laughs> I laughed so very, very much over the course of that weekend. So yeah, did all the sort of typical London things in that. It was time. great. Yeah. yeah, I'll give I'll give my little version of the story for the listeners as well. Um, so uh, Stephen is the son of my half sister, who I will also have on the podcast at some point. Um, another brilliant musician. Anyway, she um, gave Stephen up for adoption and she was living in Chicago at the time and he was adopted by an English family, obviously moved back to England. There you go. Um, so I came along much later in his life as this crazy um, adopted aunt who's, who's been vying for the favorite aunt take, I think, since day one. So, you know, um, and but anyway, on the actual day when when we agreed to meet up and everything was in motion. I had a complete panic attack. Cause I thought, Oh my God, like, you know, I'm 50, whatever. And this he's 20, whatever, like, what are we going to have in common? What I are mean, we going to do? I've just invited him up for two days. I had the exact same sort of thought process at one point as well. <laughs> just say like, like oh. Oh. I knew you'd been in bands and music and stuff, vaguely, <laughs> but I did not know that you'd end up being a massive mentalist. So I remember, walking past where I was working at the time, just stopped in to grab a coffee. Fully, fully got up. Like, new rock boots, the jacket, oh, big baggy trousers, great. everything. And, you know, people in there were like, Steve, you, you're going to go meet your family member for the first time dressed like this. And I was like, absolutely right I am. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's, it's all or nothing at this point. You know, I know who I am. <laughs> that's right. And actually, that's what saved it. Because as soon as he emerged, I was like, Oh, thank God, he's a metalhead. Oh, my God, I'm so relieved. <laughs> and so immediately, I think, I think, I think the first words out, out the first conversation we had after Hey, how are you? Like, are you Steve? I'm just assuming yeah. this metalhead is you. <laughs> like, was I think the first thing question you asked me was, Do you like Gojira? I know. Like, I don't know. <laughs> Yes, it was, it was. That was exactly how it went. It was like, hello, blah, blah. Do you like Gojira? And then 
um, you know, it was then the standard thing that, you know, most musicians do when you get together and you have your common ground, but you spend the night literally all night playing each other bands that the other one has not heard of, which exactly is what we did. And, um, yeah, we had, I had a poor, poor Amanda. She was there, uh, happy to see the re she's not a metalhead at all. And she had to suffer through hours and hours of metal. <laughs> I mean, respect, uh, respect to Amanda with that because there's nothing worse as a, as a non metalhead than having like two metalheads and being trapped in a room with them for what <laughs> essentially seven hours while you know, it just goes on and on 14 and minute like, long epic masterpieces to one another as loudly as possible <laughs> exactly exactly yeah. oh it was the best yeah it was a it was a very epic first meeting and uh, we've had some very epic adventures since then um which have which have been really wonderful and uh it's been great so um I want to talk a bit about, so, so obviously you were adopted into this family. Was anyone, you obviously have natural music ability from my sister Esme and whole family gene there. Was there any kind of um, music genes from your adopted family or your environment when you were growing up there? Um, I mean, the environment uh, was always very supportive and, and nurturing. So my sister sung, we both had piano lessons when we were younger. You know, we learned the recorder in school. Uh, I'm very much annoyed that primary school kids are no longer taught the recorder in the UK. That they've moved on to the ukulele of all the instruments. Oh, learn the recorder, suffer through it. Um, but I mean, my mother had played like had played guitar when she was younger, but no one was really that very much musical. When I started to sort of delve into it. Um, bashing away on the sofa with some like rulers or pencils or whatever school equipment, you know, mom, dad sort of looks like maybe we should get Steve a drum kit. And so I got this, <laughs> little, you know, 50 quid thing. And I was like, let's see how often he plays it. And then obviously as a, you know, nine, 10 year old kid on it all day, every day, as long as humanly possible. And so they were there yeah. like, okay, maybe we should get him a better drum kit and some <laughs> And I think nice. from that point, it just sort of blossomed. So I was, yeah, a drummer for many, many years and then picked up the guitar and everything else awesome. after. But um, no, it, it's, 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 it's weird. Like when, when I met you and uh, Megan for the first time and obviously music being such a strong thing, it was, it was a bit of a whoa moment. Of, yeah. 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 No. And I, I definitely felt the same way because I, I was also adopted out um, and, you know, similar situation, my adopted family, um, you know, there was music played, my parents both kind of sung, there was nobody that really did, um, instruments though. And I felt like a, like I definitely was, was out on a limb there, you know? And then when I met my birth family, same thing, it was just like, oh yes, now this is my, these are my people. I understand musically, you know, you understand how that all works, but yeah, absolutely amazing. So, um, We'll come to instrumentation on the albums uh, specifically, um, but aside from, I guess, some piano lessons and formal drum lessons, are you pretty much self-taught on on the various other instruments that you've picked up over the years, or how, how do you... Yeah, so drums, I had lessons till I was about 15, and, from, and then since then stopped. Same thing with guitar, from about 13 to 16, I had lessons on the sort of rudimentals of 
chord structure scales of how music actually works a little mm-hmm. bit but everything from that point on the harp the flute the vocals mm-hmm. and sort of re-teaching myself the piano as well because i sort of railed hard against it i had the worst piano teacher as well like growing up like i remember because you know no one at that age no one wants to practice their scales on the piano let's face it so uh, as all kids do i never did my scales but i i wrote i wrote a song at the age of i don't know six or seven yeah. i remember walking into that lesson and uh saying you know first thing have you done your homework no but i've written a song and the words out of her mouth were i don't care i you oh. haven't done your homework and so i turned around and just walked out at that point and just yeah, yeah it's fobbed it off and then started with the drums and uh, everything's happened since but yeah no pretty much yeah from the age of 16 is when i stopped having lessons in everything yeah. self-taught since then nice all right yeah i mean i think the the piano thing um that's a that's a very common uh old school way i mean obviously you know you want to keep kids interested in playing the musical instruments and scales you know, if you are going to be serious about it, at some point you realize that, you know, if you're going to, if you want technicality, right. Yeah. Um, you, you'll need to do those things, you know, same with guitar, with anything. If you want to be a technical player that can, you know, do arpeggios and scales all day long, then at some point you will have to do those exercises, For sure. you know, but I think to, to prescript to children that they have to do that straight away. It's absolutely nuts. Completely, completely great. Yeah. I, I applaud your walking out. Um, and so your formal university training in though, um, you went a little bit of a different route, um, than pursuing music. Why tell us about the route you took and why maybe you didn't choose music as a, as a main discipline. Um, yeah, unfortunately, yeah, unfortunately, that's actually one of those things, you know, it's like, oh, you know, when people ask you, oh, what would you have done differently in your life or anything? I'd say studying music actually at GCSE A level is something I would have would go back and do but you know I love the path that I took I took a very academic route so um, did you know history and economics and geography at A level and then went off to university to do anthropology um, and so very much in the mindset of I wanted to keep music as a at that at that time I wanted to keep music as enjoyable as possible as my sort of release my fun my sort of creative outlets away from work i didn't want it to become work and then get caught up in all those aspects of it which would suck the enjoyment i got from it out so i took a very much more yeah academic route so to speak in in that but you know anthropology is absolutely great i ended up writing my dissertation on on you know modern pagans you know going to stonehenge for your field research at the solstice you know and like tripping over past out people is you know a great way to do <laughs> university research that sounds fabulous yeah yeah, yeah. no it was a lot of fun and yeah no and i mean even if you just study because i did the same I, I studied music formally in college and got my master's degree in composition as you know and but i felt the same way as you did that um you know, to teach and to go that route and to do music for a living, it was, it was really going to bring some really not enjoyable or, or, you know, kind of boring elements to it. And I felt exactly the same way, which I think is ultimately why I, why I went to another direction as well. And, um, it, and I think, I think that's very, 
important because um, we've all seen what happens when music gets made for money versus, you know, music that is purely from the heart and creative and all those things. Sometimes the two intersect and with, with great results as well, but more often than not. <laughs> I guess well, the frustrating thing, though, is the music that's made for money makes the money, whereas the music that <laughs> doesn't. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. This is one of these, you know, philosophical questions, yeah. chicken and the egg sort of questions. Yeah, exactly right. Exactly. If right. there's a musician in the forest, is anyone around there to hear is it? Is anyone around to hear it? Yeah, that's right. Exactly right. Oh, man. So many things. Um, so, and you did play, you played in some bands as well, obviously, yeah. through college and that sort of thing. And you did play in some metal bands, I think, yeah. from memory. Yeah, of course, you know. Um, and is that, did you start off drumming in metal bands and then um, switch a bit to guitar? And Yeah, so I was, I was in, uh, yeah, a couple of metal bands when I was sort of in my late teens into early 20s into university. So the first one, I was drummer in a band called Darkening Suns, a sort of melodic death metal band. And that was my real sort of introduction into the actual sort of music world with gigging and everything. And I joined the band when I was 17. Which is hilarious because they're just like, oh yeah, just come meet up down the pub and everything. We'll have a few pints and blah 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 blah. And you know, I lived in the back end of nowhere at seventeen. Yeah. So I didn't even have mm-hmm. a driving license to be able to drive into town, let alone you know legally drink in the UK at that point. And uh, yeah, everything I just had to tell them. But no, I did my audition and it went well, and it was a blast. Honestly, so so much fun with that, and it yeah. really did. Yeah, form sort of my early sort of awareness of the music scene of the do's and don'ts of live gigging, the do's and don'ts of band practice and rehearsal. And yeah, yeah. Then I was also in the front, front man in a, in a death metal band called witch hunter where I did rhythm guitars and, and growl vocals. And there's some videos floating around, but honestly I cannot do those growls anymore. And I'm admit it's like (laughs) back then. Like you know, deep guttural growls, but no, it's, can't anymore. do them anymore. Those those days have gone. Those days have uh, gone. But yeah, that's fine though. We we love your singing voice. It's fine. It's fine to sacrifice that. Yeah, yeah. I think um, uh, definitely the the coming up in a band is a really special time. You know, like and and there's no bonds that you form quite like those ever ever again. You know, yeah. well the endless, um, the endless in jokes as well. Like, oh so, yeah. yeah. Exactly. Like if you repeat I mean, them to anyone else, they wouldn't be funny, but you think back on them and they make you chuckle. <laughs> the only thing is that I will say is every musician will, you know, when they try to sing the guitar line or the drum line, we all do it in ex- exactly the same way. You know, so when you're talking to someone and they're like, you know that bit where you're going, weedle, 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 bum, 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 you know, yeah, <laughs> it's I call like. It, I call it drum you know, spreck. Like, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. I'm waiting. I'm waiting for like Duolingo to do a course on it or something. Yeah, like, exactly. means yeah, <laughs> <laughs> means play faster. Play faster. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we had um, for some of our more rhythm- rhythmically challenging uh, music. Dan used to like signal the drummer, and so he would have like certain hand signals for when he wanted the hi hat to open, you know, or the you know, and he would do this thing with his mouth where he'd be like, you know, and he'd do this whole. <laughs> Like weird guitar, like I am miming what a, a piece of your drum equipment should be doing at this point. It's pretty funny, and the drummer's like, "Yeah, yeah, whatever, I got it." <laughs> but anyway, all good. All right. So when um, 
So then let's talk a little bit about your shift to becoming a solo artist and also the folk um, genre. So, so how did that whole transition happen? And uh, I mean, well, at the same time that I was into metal, I was sort of delving slightly into folk uh, as a kid. So my sort of early music education from the age of about 10 onwards was with the awesomeness and the much love that was and it's an unpopular opinion to have but i love it of the new metal of the late 90s early Mm -hmm. 2000s so i was the you know sort of kid on the in the primary school playground listening to corn and biscuit and Mm -hmm. static x and all all that sort of stuff but um sort of first concert i really remember sticking with me was actually a family friend so my godmother joe she was going out with a musician at the time it was in a folk band and we went down, you know, stayed, you know, visit Joe and you know, hang out. And we also went to see this uh, gig. And I just remember being absolutely blown away by the, like folk music live. And it just, it always stuck with me. And so all the way through that period, I was really, really into, into folk and then, but also metal. And then a friend of mine at school, who is equally into uh, this, this, like the same sort of style of music that I am, sort of the Scandinavian death metal, mm-hmm. melodic death metal. Sort of turned around and was like, have you ever heard of folk metal? And I was like, what is this thing? This sounds <laughs> amazing. And I was like, yeah, 13 at the time. So like, this is 2006. I remember going home and Googling it and finding um, an Elvati song, uh, A Fire and Wind of Wisdom, which is still to this day my favorite Elvati song a couple of Ensiferum songs and like a Corporate Clowney song and just being blown away like that this is a thing that someone has taken these two brilliant genres and put them together and not just one person, a myriad of people. Yeah. And from that point on, it was always, I play folk and metal. I play metal right. and folk. I do both. Um, right. And I was in all the metal bands and everything. So, I, you know, I had I bought an acoustic guitar when I was like 14 to play all like the folky soft side with it and was always, always into that. Uh, and that was sort of my little niche in the small little metal. Cause everyone likes to be different. Don't they? Everyone likes to yeah. have that thing that they have. And, and that was very much it for me. In, in the yeah. Album. Yeah. It was just, yeah, I like that. I like folk and I like metal. And so it was always there and yeah, danced around with, like had a couple of folk bands as well where, and played it with it and then at university formed a folk band off the cuff um just basically to because there was a couple of gigging opportunities which were paying but they were just for a band so me and two friends at uni were just like let's form a three-piece let's have a rehearsal and we basically made an hour-long set in not a long period of time but it was a good benchmark with which then to go and some of those songs that we wrote still survive uh, today with with Senris, with with the solo project of, of what I'm doing at the moment. They've sort of transcended and, and carried on. But no, it, it was always it was always part of of what mm-hmm. uh, I was about musically with mm-hmm. uh, that sort of special. Like bands like the Levelers really stood out to me from a young age of that folk rock element. Uh, mm-hmm. like, it's beautiful, beautiful melodies. Uh, folkiness but it has a has a crunch to it has an edge which yeah. is something you can sort of head bang along to as well as sort of tap your foot yeah. nice 
And um, and so then you eventually transitioned to a solo um, artist. And is that is that mainly because of the standard difficulty with bands around, you know, just managing the lives of different people? Or was it just more like, I just want to rely on myself to do my own music, my own recordings, my own gigs? Yeah, a little from column A, a little from column B with that, to be fair. Um, I mean, yeah. I, and to be fair, with, with uh, Century Rising, the band at uni, I was the awful person who never turned up to practice. You know, I remember organizing practice and would consistently be over an hour late. Right? Consistently. You're like, when I get my own band, I can turn up to practice whenever I want. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> when it's just me and the band. Yeah. yeah. Um, but no, and then with, you know, Darkling Sons and other bands as well, I was always notorious. And there's some members are more committed and you drop out. I mean, there's. You know, there was a there was a band I was technically in for four years, but we had one rehearsal, and I get a message every once in a while from from the guy running it, being like, "We've got a new drummer." And I was like, "Oh man, this is still a thing." <laughs> like, <laughs> like, 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 okay, like, okay, I guess. Like, we're just we're just looking for uh, like a lead guitarist now. And, uh, and that was a band I was playing violin and fluted, and occasionally we'd play some guitar. And I was like, "Okay, yeah, no worries, sure, this is still a thing." Apparently. But no, it's exactly that. It's, you know, only relying on yourself. But also, you know, with some of the songs where I was writing them, crafting them, and writing all the elements to it to sort of be able to keep creative control. Yeah. Big thing as well in terms of going solo. And it's it's a sort of brave new world in regards to music and technology and what you can do. And, you know, you you can set up a sort of semi-decent home recording studio yourself and experiment, play around with the different layers in a way you really couldn't do before. Mm-hmm. And to yeah. be able to do it all yourself as a multi-instrumentalist and, and composer, it's nice. Fantastic. Yeah, no, that's, that's very true. Um, I mean, for myself, I always felt like my strength was in the collaboration part. Like, you know, I can harmonize to just about anything on bass or voice or whatever. Um, I've, I've not written a lot of material, you know, other than, you know, what I did, uh, obviously my collegiate training, I guess, classical, I've written, you know, classical pieces mm-hmm. all the way through. So I don't, I have, but I have this idea that I, I don't really write songs, you know, or whatever, like I've only written a few, but I think it's, um, I think it's, it takes some time to sit down and really, and, and may, maybe talk a little bit about this for a minute is, um, I think what I always struggle with is, um, is the structure good? Um, for me, you know, if I repeat something, you know, four times, I mean, even though I know a lot of music is really simple and really has those repetitive themes, you know, that because it's, it's popular that way, um, you know, I get a little bit bored and I'm always trying to switch it up. And so I always feel like, um, the actual genius in writing a really good song is, is all of those things, you know, keeping it simple, um, yet, you know, interesting, you know, those are all real challenges and to put them on the, just on yourself with no collaboration, I feel it is a little bit difficult. So how did you find that? Like, um, Uh, yeah, I, I always, I, I always bounce ideas off people. I'm constantly mm-hmm. playing and a lot of the songs I write will get performed live before they're recorded in some <coughs> way, shape or fashion. Um, but no, exactly the same, like the, the structure of the song where it's going, but 
I just, I don't know, I follow a very basic rule of it's, does it sound good to me? Mm-hmm. And if it does, then it's not the wrong thing to do. Um, right. And with some of the songs, there are a lot, like lots of repeats of very simple things over and over again. And inevitably, those are the ones that people like more. And the ones I meticulously plan and re-edit and spend months like sort of combing through and going back over are my personal favorites because I put a lot of time, energy, and you know, love into them. But mm-hmm. they, to a certain extent, will you know, quite often fly under the radar. But that's not necessarily a bad thing because you, you're then bringing your own baggage, I guess, to the song and what you think people should look read into it. Like The beauty of music is that it's so subjective. Everyone will see something different in it, whether they like it or not. So, yeah, I mean, I, I guess I, I, I always try and make it interesting and mm-hmm. different and... But I, so I don't really sit down with a, an idea of, okay, I want a song to have a certain time signature or anything like that. It's very much right. comes about a bit more organically. If I will just be playing around, something will sound nice, mm-hmm. and then I'll say, okay, where is this going? And sometimes it will be immediate. Sometimes it will be, in some cases, years before I then finish that song. Yeah, yeah. I'll go on yeah. with it. But in terms of co- collaboration, like I, I'm always bouncing ideas off people and – yeah, a few times I've um, sort of roped other people to perform live with Senres as a sort of ensemble piece. There's, they always bring something else to the party. So, good friend Connor, who I worked with, he's um, he's now uh, he's qualified as a music therapist, brilliant pianist, absolutely amazing. He can and guitarist and started life as a drummer as well. Uh, loves music and all, all its shapes and forms, but he's really brilliant in the sense that he can hear something. And, you know, the way we were describing with drum spec, it's like, oh, it'd be quite nice if there was like some la-da-da here. And he'll just sit <laughs> down, like listen to it, and then over like a couple of times playing it, we'll then create something, a new layer on top, to the point when, you know, with those songs now, when I play with him, I they are not the song without his contribution on the piano. Like I can't perform them live without the piano now because yeah. of his input onto it, which is, yeah, yeah. Nice, nice. Um, okay, and so we'll we'll start to get to talk to this uh, about the albums now. Um, so, firstly, the the, uh, the name Senris. What what does that mean? Where did it come from? Absolutely nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Uh, it means absolutely nothing. Um, no, so I was in like oh, band names. I'm sure you will agree with this. They're the hardest thing to come up hardest with. Thing. Hardest uh, thing. Absolutely hardest thing. Because you'll sound either really pretentious, which you mm. don't want to do, mm. or just really quite boring and bland. And so it's it's the hardest thing. So I, I was, when I was forming this folk band, I was you know with at uni, I was like, well, we've got to have a name, guys. Like we need we need a name. Mm-hmm. And to begin with, we were called Scrap Metal, but I was like, <laughs> we're not a metal band, though. <laughs> we can't call ourselves Scrap Metal. That's like that's the perfect name for like kind of a joke metal band, but we can't call ourselves yeah. that any longer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I was flipping through some ideas and stuff, and I was like, just had a playlist of some songs I was listening to and was liking at the time. I just picked out a couple of words like century something and this is old yeah. you know, rising something. Nice. And I was like, century rising. That sounds cool, folky. You know, talk, you know, played a lot of traditional music as well. So like reworkings of old songs. So it's this, yeah, it's you know, a collection of songs from the centuries, 
Century Rising. There we go. Name. <laughs> and then when that died, uh, and I took a lot of the original material over uh, to uh, the Solo Project, I was. You, lots of people gave me their recommendations of what I should call myself, and none of them sounded good. They all sounded awfully pretentious or not suiting me. Mm-hmm. So I just, from that, I just took the first three letters from each word, Century Rising put them together, Senres, well, that sounds cool. That sounds folky. That sounds almost kind of Nordic, you know, with the Fenris and all, all this lot, you know. Uh, and people have actually, I played, a, I played a pagan festival in Nottingham and someone actually uh, commented on the Facebook page afterwards saying, really enjoyed the show. I just came over because I thought you'd do, be something to do with Norse mythology. But you weren't. <laughs> but it was great. <laughs> I was like, "Well, that's, that's fine. True. That's fine. That's, that's absolutely fine. fine. It's a. Uh, it's yeah, it looks, That's that's it where looks, it stands from. It sound. It sounds cool. It sounds cool. Yeah, totally looks. Yeah, exactly. Perfect. Awesome. That's great. Um, so we'll we'll start with the first album, Autumn Moon, um, which was recorded in 2019. Um, so. Tell me just just generally thematically with this album, um, you know, what were you going for, and uh, yeah, what were you going for with with this first album? Uh, Autumn Moon, a little while ago. Um, with it, it was essentially I self recorded an EP before, and it was sort of a collection of songs. But with this, I sort of picked out the seven, well, the six best sort of tracks that at that point I felt I had written and expressed the sort of diversity of music that I enjoy playing, creating, listening to. There's a lot of fun, upbeat, jumpy, rompy, stompy folk, which you can, which I've been you know playing for ages and a lot more um, progressive stuff that I'd written for with personal meaning um and yeah there, there's the beginnings of like the sort of personal emotions and life struggles it that going into there which sort of have is similar with warm the winter but it's essentially a collection of personal songs that i was i was proud of i felt polished and um formed a nice arc in terms of listening it's it rises it's nice at the beginning dips down in the middle and then rises again at the end so it has sort of like easy listening then the sort of more complex sound and then a a, a good sort of melodic finish with come the morning which is still Mm -hmm. probably one of my favorite songs to this day very simple food melody but it's just Mm -hmm. very very nice to listen to but there's some real personal work in there as well. And the, the album being called Autumn Moon from the title track was uh, really a song which meant a lot to me at that point because it's a, it's a song about um, hopelessness and sort of uh, and depression, which uh, I'd sort of had to overcome a couple of years before uh, and was a real, real issue for me at one point. And is um, essentially that song uh, is about the feeling of sort of being stuck in and trapped in a room of, of watching time pass you by and feeling that you don't have a place really in, in this new world and that life will go on, but 
ultimately what is your existence contributing to it yeah and, and the the following song from that brothers grim is about um, a girl who i knew at university who was in a, a very abusive relationship and sort of the idea of creating a fantasy world to deal with that so there's a lot of heaviness in that of like some personal work which was never part of century rising was never going to be a part of century rising it's very much that's where senris came into its own with those sort of stripped back personal songs um but then sort of on the flip side you also had the uh, you know, Lovable Gargoyles and Lanigan's Balls of, of the album, which, you know, were fun to play live and, you know, written at festivals and, you know, about drinking and all this other lot. And, you know, uh, sort of the, the flip side, basically. It's, it's That album was essentially the, the two emotions of, of me in the years 2014 through to 2018 is wow. essentially what that album is. It's, it's the split between the real highs of being with friends and then the real lows of feeling like you are completely alone. Wow. Were you writing those songs during that period or just after you were through? Some of them. Some of them, yeah. Um, So Autumn Moon, uh, which is one of my favorites from the album, that's one with Connor on the piano where he really brought it in and, and changed the 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 feeling of the emotional song he captured that brilliantly with the listening and then added his piano to it was written uh it was polished off after so i remember i wrote the first bit of it uh and then got writer's block so i wrote the intro and then got writer's block for about five months every when i picked up the guitar when i went to write when i went to play i only played for about 10 minutes because nothing would come out there was no joy uh, I wouldn't want to play other people's songs. I wouldn't want to do covers and nothing. I was bored of all the old songs that I'd done a million times before and nothing new was coming and just the frustration. And then just sort of looking at my surroundings in over the course of those months, I then picked up the guitar, sat down and those words came, that tune came with the chord progression of basically I'm just going to go here and try this out. And that's how the song formed was to basically it just intro a very long gap. And then my emotions at that point of reflection out. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's awesome. Well, the tracks I chose were the, uh, the up, upbeat side. <laughs> having, having not heard the story, maybe I should have chosen one of, one of each for the contrast. That's all show. fine. That's all fine. All good. So, um, so, yeah, so I have chosen to listen to Lovable Gargoyle and Let It Gets Ball. So let's talk about Lovable Gargoyle. Who is the Lovable Gargoyle? Is that you? Lovable Gargoyle is a very, very close friend of mine, one of my best <laughs> friends um whose name is disguised uh, and will forever remain disguised because i couldn't i couldn't do that uh to, uh yeah but it was um <laughs> it was it was written because uh there was always a, a trio of us yeah. and uh I, I, once again i'm not gonna name names because it's unfair because <laughs> uh but we we were we went, we went on um a trip uh to go dry slope skiing like a few like years and years ago and um 
or not dry soap skiing, indoor skiing, because there's one up in Birmingham near Tamworth. Yeah. Um, and you have to get up really early and you're kind of sleep deprived. And one of our friends was driving and we were in the passenger seats. I was in the front uh, and uh, the love of Gargoyle was in the back. I just remember just, you know, in the sleep adult states being really br- brutal. Someone like beeped her on the horn. And I was like, well, why, why are they beeping us? And I just went, oh, maybe because we've just got a gargoyle in the back seat. And so it was really, <laughs> really mean. And I hate it. But it just, it was one of those things that just kind of stuck. And I feel really <laughs> bad about it. But it was a song that was actually written at a festival, uh, Fairy Fest down, down in Cornwall. One of those beautiful, small festivals that there's no security between the campground and the festival site and the stages because it's super family friendly. Everyone's like really safe. You can take your guitar, leave it in your tent and no one's going to nick it. It's a beautiful beautiful festival. And it's on like this really nice estate ground and you can just walk off into the estate ground and there's a ruined medieval folly tower and you can look out over the ocean. It's absolutely brilliant festival. And we're up late one night and I just started humming this tune and just putting some words down. And this whole story formed about with, with the friends involvement and we all chipped in together to basically come up with the idea that, that there's this gargoyle that everyone is kind of, you know, this horrible, hideous creature, but it's actually quite lovable, really. It's quite cheeky. It's <laughs> yeah. And, uh, it's yeah. one of those things like there once was a lovable gargoyle but like, you know yeah. like that you'd sort of be like ah oh, and pet and, and that's where <laughs> it came about and then yeah sort of throwing in lyrics from local town names that we driven past on the way there you know they went down from saltash to lisgard because those were two signs we saw on the road so why wouldn't the gargoyle go from saltash to lisgard i mean lisgard's a perfectly nice place mm-hmm. Nice. Why wouldn't it? Yeah. (laughs) All right. Well, let's take a listen. So, um, Lovable Gargoyle off Autumn Moon by Sinbrit. Sets us all free This fun, loving humor So true You try to do Almost anything And anything Under the sun But he was good at just a few So we went to parts new Drinking ale and stealing Our smokes Yes, there once was a lovable gargoyle Named Ronok, the toothless and cursed So lovable was he that he set her so free The beautiful maiden he claimed He went down from Soltash to Lisgard In a wobbly wheeled wagon And how she did stare at his flame-colored hair Struggled to deal with the sun Among things needed to court her Was to shave off his scraggly beard And they died 
absolutely deep beneath the tallest trees singing a wee tune to the rise of a full moon and it went Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. But, yeah, uh, yeah. 
Sorry, I'm not legit Irish. Sorry. Ah, uh, I mean, but that's be, that's yeah. honest, like who is in, in the states. Sorry to say, but uh, yeah, that's yeah, right. Uh, exactly right. But um, um yeah, 100 percent true. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Sure. I mean, it's one. It's one of those things. I I always feel. As a very, very British, like English person, British person, like I, yeah, I don't. I, let's not get into a conversation about how people identify because it's just I don't identify as that. But it's just the fact of, of the matter. It's yeah. one of those things. It's always very difficult when uh, playing Irish songs because of the the history between the two countries. Which yes. Is oh yeah. I can, just yeah, I can totally awful, awful, really. But I mean, with those other ones, when I when I play those songs, you know. You know, try and you know bear all of that in mind seriously, and so that's why I play the less Irish um, folk than I do Scottish folk because I have some very tenuous ties to Scotland. So the Irish mm. ones are a bit more fewer and far between these days for for that sort of reason. But yeah, yeah. but no, this is a yeah. great one. There's no politics in it. It's just a fun party song. Just a fun song. Yeah, yeah. But interesting point that you know you bring up about. Um, you know, because your whole region is rife with folk music of one kind or another, yeah. you know, so how can you not be influenced by every single country that can Yeah, be? and that's, that's the thing, it's just like, you know, I really do appreciate where, as a student of history, you know, the the British Empire was very awful, awful thing. Yeah. Um, as a current student of history, the USA is an awful, awful thing. <laughs> <laughs> And so, so yeah, but the, you know, it's very much still the the politics of those songs are still alive. You know, they're not old songs that people. They're not, you know, like I, I guess it might be the same thing in the states with the sort of old Civil War songs. You know, there's still mm. some politics tied up in their songs. So when you play them, you need to bear that in mind. Yeah, uh, that's hundred percent of the weight and the history they have behind them. But yeah, 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 absolutely. All right, well, let's rip into Lanigan's ball. Jeremy Lanigan Bounced away till the ends I found in his father died And made him a mannequin Left him a farmer to mix the ground Give a grandfather to friends and religious So they never get to wink up to the water If you don't need this And I make us clean the road The rocks of the Lanigan's ball Sure, I got fee invitations for all nice boys and girls might ask Cause listen, a minute, both friends were relations with that sick space He's on the cast, dancing a sponge and wine for the ladies But it's okay, there was bacon and tea They were the Northern Stones, so glad he's got the girls He's dancing away 
Six a month spends in Dublin, a month's nothing at all. Six a month spends in Dublin, no need to dance, surviving his ball. A month spends in Dublin, a month's nothing at all. Six a month spends in Dublin, no need to dance, surviving his ball. Boys are married, the girls are hardy Dancing around in couples and groups And acting you happen, you're tearing the guard He puts his right hand into fancy suits She thinks he didn't climb in the above her And come on the brothers and gather them all like a mod He swore that he couldn't fill it He eats a satisfaction of letting it fall Six months spends in Dublin, no need to dance or lighting his ball. A month spends in Dublin, no months do nothing at all. Six months spends in Dublin, no need to dance or lighting his ball. And I stepped out, I stepped in again, she stepped down, and she stepped in again, I stepped out, I stepped in again, no need to dance or lighting his ball. And I stepped out, I stepped in again, she stepped down, and she stepped in again, I stepped out, I stepped in again, no need to dance or lighting his ball. That's nuts. <laughs> it's, really, it's, it's stupid is what it is. <laughs> I'm uh, like, and the thing is, the main guitar, like, you could get a lot more rumptier and a lot quicker live, and then all of a sudden you're in big, big trouble with the vocals. Like, Yeah, <laughs> it, it has happened once or twice before, right? Uh, but, yeah, it's, it's, it's always a one way you have a deep breath, glass of water by the side ready and like a pause yeah, and a and sit down afterwards before if you're not well, finishing yeah. on that one yeah <laughs> excellent yeah because because with that one so like playing it throughout the open mics throughout the years you know as the as we said earlier the massive metalhead i am like during that opening bit in a song you know i will windmill and like swing my hair around while i'm doing it on nice. the bridge bit. Uh, just people be like, ooh, like you know, the, the little old lady at the back of the pub, like listening to some folk music. It's the first time they've seen anything like that. And they're like, ooh, I've, I've not seen this before with the hair. I, I do rather like it. <laughs> What's he doing with his head? What's he doing? Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. All right. We hope you enjoyed that discussion with Senris. If you enjoyed any of the tracks off today's album, you can check out the Senris band link pages below where you can find it on all good streaming platforms. 
Join us next week for a discussion of Album 2, Warm the Winter. 